Exodus 7. So I'm a little bit delayed. I had some people in my house, so I needed to uh, take all the notes. And so I'm actually a few chapters ahead of this. I just haven't recorded them with audio. So here we are at the beginning of the plagues of Egypt. And, uh, and here we have Aaron and Moses. Um, and we actually get a glimpse into how old they are at this point. And it says Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. Um, earlier I was confused about which one was older, but this actually solidifies a little bit more of my confusion about how did Aaron survive um, not getting killed and thrown into the river unless he was right before the, the rules about you know, all your neighbors kill your neighbor's kids when they're born. Just horrible. So it must have happened right in that between when Aaron was born and when Moses was born was when that decree went out. Because otherwise, Aaron would be dead. Um, yeah. So, let's see. Uh, and God, so God says here in, in verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand on Egypt and bring out the ranks of my people, Israel. Um, so then, so then here he went in, and um, what basically as I'm going through this, I'm I'm trying to separate out um, the simplifications that I saw in um, uh, Prince of Egypt, which is a great movie, but it is a movie, and what I'm reading here, and one of the things that's repeatedly said in the movie is "Let my people go." Full stop. But one thing I've noticed here is that. Almost every time that Moses or Aaron says, let my people go, he says, let my people go so that they can worship me. There's always a so. Um, and, and it's almost always so that they can worship me. And sometimes there's a little bit more detail of we need to take a three-day journey so that they can worship me or let my people go so that they can go into the wilderness to worship me. But it's always to worship. It's always for a reason. It's not just let them go. And... Uh, I'm not sure, I feel like that misses out on something. That's not just a freedom for freedom's sake, it's a freedom for a specific task. So they went in and when they, they demonstrated the signs, Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. Um, in, and so this, we've got Aaron's staff and Moses' staff and, and this there's a lot of back and forth that, that makes it hard to tell Who's doing what? In a very similar way that sometimes it's hard to tell um, what Moses is saying and what Yahweh is saying. Which is interesting because right here at the beginning, verse 1, I'm saving it for now because of this, this uh, interesting distinction here, is um, Yahweh answered Moses and said, See, I have made, in this translation it says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. But in Hebrew, there's not a like. And there's not a difference between capital and lowercase God. There's just the word Elohim. So it says, I have made you God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. Now, was he literally a God? No. I, I don't think so. He's, he's a human. Uh, but, which is why I think it's okay for them to put a like in here. But, um, but I think it's interesting that there's a lot of gravity 
to that statement. And, and that's the kind of power that can go to your head really easily, which is why I, was, I think it's vital that somebody with such humility, Moses was known for his humility uh, before this and after this and, and, and throughout um, all of his interactions with God and with Israel, he comes into the situation with so much humility, uh, almost to his detriment. And that's, that's a very similar thing that marks uh, David later on, that, that humility, coming before God, and, um, and although he commanded armies, he commanded, uh, he had a lot of authority, he could say, make this happen, and it would happen, but always he would come before God with great humility, knowing that God is all-powerful, and he knew his place before the Almighty. So uh, Aaron threw down his staff, and it became a serpent. And then the, um, the let's see, in this translation, it calls them uh, magicians, um, which in today's modern context, magician uh, is a lot around tricksiness and a sleight of hand. And, and that's not what this is talking about. Um, these are sorcerers or um, the, uh, the ones who watch the stars, the, the, uh, the astrologers, the people who could predict the future. Astrologers is a word that we use now that is almost in the same category as magician. It's like, well, they're saying things that are so vague that they could come true just through. But no, these are people that actually could get things done. The, the things that these people are doing by occultic practices and through the power of uh, par powerful spiritual beings that they were in communication with is surprising and frankly quite scary. Uh, so they each threw down their own staff and they became serpents as well. Now Aaron's staff swallowed them, but Pharaoh was unimpressed and he did not listen to them. So then the Lord said to Moses, he was unresponsive, so uh, go and, um, and meet him in the morning. Stand out by the water and uh, take your staff and stretch it out. Stretch out your hand over the waters. He says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, canals, ponds, and reservoirs, and they will become blood. And there will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in the wooden and stone containers. So in, uh, they, they allude to it, but in, in the Prince of Egypt, he stabs his staff down into the water and it kind of emanates from the staff. But th this happened everywhere. All in the canals, in the rivers, in the reservoirs, in cups. And so it didn't emanate from one place. It happened everywhere. So I don't know what it, I mean, we don't know what it looked like. Um, but the sorcerers of Egypt did the same thing. And um, all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink from the river. And they couldn't drink from the reservoirs, and they couldn't drink from any stone or wood containers that they already had. And then, and then seven days passed. I'm going to back up just a, just a little bit because there's a, there's a tiny little note in here that is both confusing and, and I think is a kind of foreshadowing. So when, when Yahweh said to, Mo said to Moses, tell Aaron to take your staff and stretch out your hand 
over the waters. It says in the next verse that Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. But then it contradicts itself. It says, um, in the sight of Pharaoh and his officials, he raised the staff and struck the water. But what was the command? The command was to take your staff and stretch it out. Take your staff, stretch out your hand. And they struck the water. And later on, after, you know, uh, many chapters later, when they're, when they're in the wilderness and God says to Moses, speak to the rock. He actually strikes it with his staff. And that's very, it, it's similar. It's stretch out your hand and, and, and speak. But he instead strikes. What's interesting is here, it says that they did just as the Lord commanded. But later, when, when God said to speak to this rock, and he struck it, that's actually one of, the, one of the main reasons why Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land, because he didn't listen to the Lord. So I think this is a, a type of foreshadowing. I'm not entirely sure, but that's a, just an interesting note there. And that is the end of chapter 7. More plagues to come. <laughs>